Welcome to the podcast of Midtown Church OKC, a church of the Nazarene. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. We want to develop real relationships and have real conversations, so we would love to hear from you. Find information about our worship services, email a pastor, follow our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and find out how to be a part of our community by visiting our website, midtownchurchokc.org. For those of you who are new at uh, Midtown Church slash City Prez, you'll remember, uh, well, you won't remember, uh, those of us who are not new will remember that uh, the City Prez Sanctuary can get hot from time to time. So uh, for some reason, we are unable to uh, fix this air conditioning unit. Right now, we're working on 79 degrees. So I apologize, and we have worked on it. But, um, but if you can hang with us, that would be fabulous. So we, as I said at the call to worship, we have been going through uh, a series together called Questions About the Bible. And um, what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is this is going to be just a little bit different. Pastor Mikhail and I are going to tag team some sermon if we could. You'll be so thrilled to know that I'm not going to talk as long as I normally talk. You'll be sad to know that the time is exactly the same because we're sharing it. So hang on, okay? I want you also, if you would, as I said at the beginning, if you would like go full body into this. And one of the things that we do in worship is we bring our whole selves to worship. We, we just don't sit and receive. We actually participate. We give. We hear. We, we taste. We touch. There is a reason, multiple reasons why we come to this table. It is so we can engage all senses. Now, we've been asking questions about the Bible, and when we started this series, what, what I did was I said that I was answering uh, a series of questions that came from a young girl in my youth ministry whose name was Sarah. She'd ask everything about how you know that the Bible is true. Is the Bible open for interpretation? What is the Bible, and where did it even come? And over the last number of weeks, we have been doing this, <clears throat> we've been answering these questions together. Tonight is a little bit different because I want us to give some handles. I want, I want to give some handles. We come here and we read the Bible in worship. It is central to our worship, just as the table is central to our worship. It is central, uh, it, 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 we people read the Bible when they do Bible studies and there are rules, kind of guidelines that we walk through when we do these studies. And then if you've been at church for very long at all, you've heard people say this, you need to read the Bible in personal devotion. But if you're anything like me, you go, I don't, even, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know how to start this. And when you don't have some sort of an experience, it becomes difficult because perhaps nothing meant anything to you or you did not understand what you were even reading. So Pastor Mikhail and I are gonna, we're gonna talk a little bit about how we even approach this. So <clears throat> last week I told you that as readers of these sacred texts, it's important that we take a dive into the world behind the text so that we can see what the author originally intends for the people to hear. We want to expose what the author has to say to us because just a moment ago, you told me and I told you that we are a group of people who are longing for transformation. This is what we want. This is what we think 
happens. This is why we believe that the church has protected these ancient texts. Jesus was shaped by these ancient texts, and so we want to be shaped by them as well. So we're going to approach a specific text together. I'll read the text, and I will walk us through how I look at the text, and then Pastor Mikhail will do the same, okay? So I would like to invite our friends who have Bibles to hand them out. If you do not have a Bible, I want to, yeah, to invite you to take one of these Bibles. The, everybody together, I would love it if we opened our Bibles up to, <clears throat> excuse me, Luke chapter 22. We're going to start at verse 47 and we're going to read through verse 53. So hold up your Bible. Everybody will need one. <clears throat> I'm going to grab a drink if you don't mind. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. So one of the questions that Sarah asks is, how do you even go about reading the scriptures? Hold your thumb in in that text, if you would, Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 47. We're going to read the story of Jesus' betrayal. But before we do that, I, I just want to point out a few things, okay? When we come to the text, the first thing that I do is I attempt to sense the text with, a, with an inspired, prayerful and inspired imagination. When I was growing up, I, I had the sense that I had to come to the text and I had to have some kind of an emotional response. I had to cry or I had to feel guilty or I had, to, I had to get some kind of light bulb moment. But, but I think we can come to the text intellectually. It's one of the things that I've learned. And I want us to come to the text with a prayerful, inspired imagination. As you let your imagination run wild, what is it that you see? What is it that you feel? What is it that you hear? What is it that you taste? What can you touch in the text? So in worship together, we say, after we read the scriptures, hear the word of the Lord. But again, worship is a full-bodied experience, heart, mind, soul, intellect, emotions, everything. We taste, we touch, we see, we feel. We can even smell the things that are happening. Hear the word of the Lord is what we say. But we could say it this way, see the word of the Lord, because that's what Isaiah says. Or we could say, taste and see that the Lord is good after we read the text, because that's what the psalmist does. Or we we could say this, be a fragrance now because of what has been read of the goodness of the Lord, because that's what Paul says. So we bring our full bodies to this thing, and we want to get to know the text because we want to know the God within the pages of these texts. And we want to know about the people who claim to bear witness to his activity. So we come to the text with all of our senses. So let us read together. And uh, I want you to hold your thumb in your Bible, but I'd like you to do something different that we don't normally do in here. Would you close your eyes as this text is read And before we read it, what is it that you see? What are the things that you hear? What can you taste? What can you touch? What do you smell? So hear the word of the Lord. See the word of the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
so that you might be a fragrance. It says this, but even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of his 12 disciples, and Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords, and one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. And then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you would come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. So I come to this text, and I imagine as I did, I, I, I come to this, this task and I ask the question, and one of the things that I do is I actually keep a journal. And I will open up my journal and I will write in the journal, what is it that I see? Well, I did it this weekend, and I don't know if these are some of the things that you saw. Excuse me, I did it this week, and I don't know if these are some of the things you saw, but these are the, some of the things I saw. I saw a mob coming out of the darkness with torches. I can see red, anger, the hostility of men approaching. I can see Judas, the hypocrisy. He kisses his savior, and it's betrayal of the worst sort because his act is intimate, but the reality of his heart is not. I see the hero complex in the one who pulls out his sword in order to stop this arrest, and I see the onlookers, and they're frozen in their tracks. Can you see that? But there's more that I see here because as I'm imagining this text and I'm reading it and I'm allowing myself to see what's taking place, I can see other things that are happening. I can see things in contemporary life that look just like this text. I can see movies that I watched when I was growing up where this has happened. Beauty and the Beast came to mind. The, the scene where Gaston run, leads a mob to kill an innocent. They sing and they hold pitchforks and they come the whole way. This is one of the things that comes into my mind. I can see news outlets every day where I have seen mobs recently, mobs who carry torches, mobs who see red and come in anger. I, I can see these things even as I read, just take a minute and read this text. So what comes to your mind? What is in your inspired imagination when you read this text? How did you imagine it? What goes on in your mind's eye? What shocks you about what's taken place? I take time and I write these things down. And one of the reasons that I do that is because I want it to be inside of me. And then I ask the question. I ask you this question. What did you hear? Can you hear the chanting? They're standing in the dark before they can see anything. They're the voices, the curses, the vulgar promises of the mob talking about what they're actually going to do to him. 
I can hear somebody behind Jesus saying, Jesus, don't worry, I got your back. But we know they didn't mean it. It's not just that I see. I can also hear the voices, the voices of seventh graders. These seventh graders who create a plot to take out some innocent kid that they just don't like. I can feel that in this text. In fact, while I'm moving through this text and I'm going through it with prayerful, inspired imagination, I can remember being a seventh grader that did exactly that. I can hear my seventh grade self, just like Judas, say, and I have a vivid image of this, saying to a girl named Tina, saying to a girl named Tina something intimate, I love you, and it was only meant for betrayal. I wanted my friends to do something to her, to embarrass her, to laugh at her, to make fun of her. When I imagine this text, I fit into it. What is it that you taste? When the text is read, certainly you can taste a lust for blood. There's a thirst going on here, but there's also a sickness. Have you ever tasted sickness? Jesus' disciples, they're there, they're sick and tired of being oppressed. They can taste their victory. They imagine that they're going to be a part of some revolt, and together they're going to establish a new political order. And now they are so close. They're in Jerusalem, in the city of God, and they can taste their victory. Have you ever wanted something so much that you'll do whatever it takes to get there, that you can taste it? that you covet for it, that you're greedy with your taste after it? Or have you ever been so brokenhearted that you were sick? It resulted in vomit and violence. This is what I see in these texts here. But I can also imagine Jesus, a character in the story who was also sick, because you hear him say these words, no more of this. There is this cry of this people. This is the cry of people who are in under-resourced neighborhoods whose kids, get sh whose kids get hit by a stray bullet as they play in the front yard or they're just walking to school. They have a taste. No more of this. This is a teacher who watches as another kid is a victim of suicide. And she says, no more of this. This is a parent who watches as their kid goes back into rehab again, time and time again, and they can taste it. I'm sick of this, no more of this. This is what's happened in the text. What else can you feel? Can you feel the cold chills when Judas gives Jesus a kiss? Can you feel the cold steel around his wrist, these iron cuffs? Can you feel your shoulders being jerked out of their sockets because of those cuffs, holding him, holding him back? Can you feel the spit in the eyes and he's unable to wipe them out? And then quickly a punch comes. Can you feel it? Can you feel the horror that of everybody around when the disciple tries to lop off the head of the servant only to miss and catch his ear? And can you feel the shock when Jesus calls stop, halts the violence, and in the middle of it, he actually heals? 
Oh man, I can imagine that one. I can imagine a day when Jesus calls stop to the violence and begins to heal. What do you smell? Death? It's like the Grim Reaper has a certain stench, and I've smelled it before, and you have as well. It smells like the last days of cancer. It smells like an under-resourced nursing home. It smells like a woman dying of AIDS that I saw, and there she was lying in the mud, baking in the sun, vomit and excrement all over her. Can you smell fear? Because that's what I smell in this situation. Can you, can you smell what it feels like to sit? The fear that, that, can you smell the fear in a courtroom when the sentence is over the top? Or smell what it feels like to be pulled over for an arrest with no cause? Can you smell the fear of a pink slip in a locker? Or the fear of confrontation? Can you smell that with a coworker? All of these things and many more I can imagine just when I read these five short verses. And as you read the text, there's probably other things that you would read, probably better things that I'm sure that you can imagine. And this is my way into the world of the text. But I just don't stand there. I just don't leave it there because it's a pretty dark place. So I also ask some basic questions. And my time is almost up, so I'm going to go fast, okay? So I ask some basic questions. And the first basic question is this, and you might want to write this down. I ask the question, and it's easy to see, what is the bad news here? It's the easiest one. All of the characters confused, that's bad news. Judas is confused. I think the 11 are confused, trying to lead a revolt. It's, it's, it's It's bad news that a man nearly gets his head chopped off, and those that are watching, they I think it's bad news that they just can't believe what they're seeing because Jesus is being charged and arrested, accused of crimes that he did not commit. So Luke is clear in this text that the bad news comes in the line that Jesus says, today, it's the day of darkness. It's your day. You get to do this. It's the day of darkness. Second question I ask is this, what's the good news here? And this can be a little bit more difficult, but it is the gospel. And it means that it is good news for us. And Luke gives us a clue because Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. This is a messianic title, a political title. And I actually write this down in my journal. And Messiah means savior. So here is Jesus the Messiah, the son of man. Even in the worst of situations, the good news is that he's healing. But he didn't just heal his friends. Do you know who he heals? The people who have come to arrest him. He heals the one that came to kill him. He's not leading a rebellion of violence like what his disciples think. He's he's not just sort of handing out kindness. His intentions are not covered up with acts of intimacy. He said, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And he responds, no more of this. The good news is that Jesus, the son of man, is saving by putting a stop to violence by yielding to it. And this is the way by which he is going to heal his friends, you and me, and the way in which he's going to heal his enemies. I ask more questions. What is God doing here? Well, it seems that God, capped in this son of man title, enters into the darkness. You heard this is a dark night, but there is more that's going on here. The son of man enters into the darkness. The son of man, which is written about in the Old Testament book of Daniel, was the one 
who was in the lion's den, the God that was in the fiery furnace, and now this one becomes the God of the cross. And it looks like God, it looks like Luke is trying to tell us that Jesus, God in Jesus, doesn't just stand with those in the dark situations and is somehow disconnected at the same time, but now he willingly steps into that situation, fully submerged in the situation. God and Jesus was in the temple courts, the text tells us. He was in the place of glory, the, the center of national and religious identity, the hub, the place where they went to worship, but they didn't notice him. So he goes to the place where they will. He goes to the cross. Something that I'm learning from this text is this, that God will give us what we want. If we want to take a life, God will let us do it. If we want to betray God, God will let us do it. If we want to hurt others, God will let us do it. If we want to step, if, if we want to set up our own rebellions and our own kingdoms, God will let us do it. And in Jesus, even in this text, it's like he says, you have no sense about what you're doing. And when you go about doing it this way, you will have deep regret. That's why he says, okay, this is your hour. You can be in charge. But what is absolutely astonishing about this text is that God makes a move. And he says, if this is what you want to do, okay, it's darkness, this is your hour. It'll lead down a road of suffering, but I wanna let you know something. I'll let you do it, and I'll go with you. When the regret comes, when the pain comes, when the sadness comes, and when the despair comes, I'm gonna take on all that with you. You know what you should do here? This is mind blow time. We could ask other questions. What are humans doing? What kind of literature is this? How many places can I stand? Can I listen to the text from Ju Judas's position or Jesus's followers or servants of the high priest or the chief priest and the elders and the leaders, which is the place where I normally get to stand, or the onlookers? Or Luke, why is he even telling the story? I will tell you this though. When I'm reading the text, I hardly ever get to stand in the shoes of Jesus. He's hardly ever the role I get to play. And then in my journal, I ask the question, what is happening now? In light of this text and in light of my world, what is happening now? Las Vegas, hurricanes, mistrust of a political system, kids and spouses, you know, what, the, the issues related to that, financial difficulties, what is going on in our world now? And I think sometimes I've been rebellious, downright sinful. Sometimes the sin of the world has tried to lop my head off. And sometimes I've tried to create my rebellion and go my own way. But guess what I have discovered? He allows me and then goes with me. One of my favorite pastors, Eugene Peterson, says, it's not about mastering the text when we read it, but it's about, it's about submitting to it as it's given to us, because the task is not to get God to do something I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can participate in it. This is, this is how I do it. Pastor Mikhail, I hope I gave you enough time. 
So one of the things, uh, one of the reasons we decided to even do this today is because as we were having conversation the last couple of weeks about all of this, we realized that, um, well, you probably know, we're very different, but we realized that almost to a T, our experience of our own journey of how we even find our way through the text mirrors each other in very opposite ways. For me, I spent a lot of time um, thinking through and writing down answers and thinking that I had to have things just right. I had to have all the right answers about a text and I had to be fully intellectually present. And that's not untrue, that's true. You, you, I needed to do those things, but what I, what I didn't understand for a long time is that I could relate to scripture like I relate to most other things in life, emotionally and relationally. I could engage through those avenues and not have to set it aside. So whereas Chris grew up thinking that you had to cry reading scripture and found that he didn't fit in that mold, I grew up thinking if I did cry reading scripture, there was something wrong with me and I wasn't being an intellectual. Well, one of the things that I really want you to hear tonight is that as we are fully present to God in scripture, as we are fully ourselves and fully able to engage in ways that make sense to us, the Spirit speaks. And it's the Spirit's truth that speaks to us in ways that we understand. So for me, when I engage with this text, what I frequently do when I'm reading scripture is a practice that's almost as old as the church called Lexio Divina. It's a Latin name that just means divine reading. And if you're not familiar with it, I kind of liken it to the difference between like flipping pages in a magazine and seeing pictures or going to an art museum and sitting in front of a painting and soaking it in and asking questions of, I wonder why he chose that brushstroke, or I wonder why the artist decided to paint this, this color, or what is the artist trying to emote here? It's that kind of reading. You just, I just get to sit with it and roll things over in my head. And so you read several times. I read the first time, and I found that a question immediately popped in my head, and I knew that that question would distract me, so I wanted to get it out of the way quickly. And the question was, in verse 47, but even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached. And then immediately I was like, oh, what did Jesus say? And I couldn't move on until I answered that question. Luckily, I only had to jump one thing back because Jesus said, in verse 46, why are you sleeping? He asked his disciples, get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. I thought, that's probably something. I'll hold on to that. Okay, I'll keep reading. Then I went back and read. And then I read again slower and tried to feel or sense, as Chris was talking about, the different ways of engaging with the text. But as you do Alexio Divina, you... It's almost like I'm waiting for something to rise to the surface, something that I can't move past. And this time as I read this even familiar story in scripture, I couldn't get past Jesus's words, no more of this. 
And so then on my third go-around, I slowed down even more. I read again, even slower, and I took a long pause at no more of this. And it's almost like in my mind's eye, I put the scene in slow motion. And I looked at Jesus's face and I looked at the disciples' face and I looked at Judas's face and I tried to absorb as much information as possible around this phrase that I couldn't get out of my head. No more of this. I wanted to soak in all of the available information because I know when a phrase emerges like this, it means God has something for me. And so then I close my Bible. I don't look at it anymore. I sit and I ponder and I reflect and I roll it over in my mind and I'm still continually working to be fully present in the story and fully present in the words that are coming to my head. Sometimes my mind wanders and I have to bring it back. But I look for, what do I feel? What do I hear? What echoes of other kinds of things? What memories, what images, what other scriptures are popping into my head as I sit with this no more of this? And so as I sought, sat with this, I just started to jot down notes and I saw and felt a disciple who felt the weight of the world crushing in and thought, this is my moment I get to defend God and felt like he had his moment of righteous anger and even holy violence. But then I see and feel Jesus, who is just sad, just deeply sad. Sad that he's being betrayed by a friend, yes. Sad that he is being arrested and he has an, at least a glimmer of an idea of what he's in for the rest of the night, yes. Sad about all those things, but sad that this man and these men that he has poured himself into still don't get it. They ask the question, Jesus, is now the time to fight? And don't even wait for an answer. They don't even wait. I hear the words as I'm pondering this. I hear the words, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you. These are the same words that they heard Jesus say. And no matter how many amens they said in all of Jesus' sermons, they were so quick to turn to violence. As I'm sitting here pondering, I also find another story of scripture writing, rising to the surface, and that is Jonah. If you've been practicing your, our weekly practices together, you too read it this past week. And I was reminded that <laughs> we humans always want vengeance. We always want the bad guys done in. And we are never satisfied, it seems, with the pace 
and the persistence of God's mercy. I also remind, I was reminded, my mind was brought back to Jesus saying, stay awake, watch and pray so you don't give in to temptation. And I thought, oh, this might be what he was talking about. It's pretty tempting to launch into violence at the drop of a hat. I thought about how quickly we fall back into old patterns, even as we're attempting to do good by violent means. And to all of this, Jesus says, no more of this. And then I thought, he's not just saying it here once off, he is saying it with his body forever and ever. No more of this. This is not the way. I will show you a better way. Yes, it is hard and painful and awful, and it is actually death. There's no getting around that. It is death. But come, let me show you a better way Violence will never bring redemption. Let me show you what will. And so after all of my sitting and pondering and gathering, I write all these things down and then I sit and say, okay, how do I respond to this? What, what does this say to me, Mikhail Levine in Oklahoma City, in October of 2017. What does it say to me reading this in the wake of a madman who killed 58 people and then himself out of a Las Vegas hotel room? And I began to recognize with great remorse the ways in which I spring into violence when I feel like I need to defend God, or when I feel like I need to defend myself. I spring into violence of words, or thoughts. By the grace of God, messages typed out on Facebook and then deleted. And how quickly I too am able to jump to another place in my brain that is apparently not yet fully saturated with perfect love because there's a lot of fear still there. I was reminded Jesus is saying to me personally, Mikhail, there's a bigger picture and you can't see it all and it looks foolish to willingly submit to death and not stand and fight it. And it looks shameful to allow your God or your leader, the person that you love, to go without defending him or her. Yes, it, it does, but you gotta trust me on this. There's more going on here than you know about. I was reminded of one of uh, the lines of the serenity prayer 
which says, I will trust that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. And sometimes it really is just that simple. For me, I heard, sometimes, Mikhail, it really is just as simple as trusting that I know what I'm doing. Trusting that when I encourage you, when I beg you to stay awake and pray and not give in to temptation, I'm doing it for a reason. When I say bless those who curse you and love your enemies and, and pray for those who persecute you, that, that's what I mean. And I'm inviting you into a better way so that you, so that I, God saying, so that I can make all things right as you, Mikhail, surrender to my will. And then, as you can imagine, I just have to sit in that for a few minutes. <laughs> I just have to sit and go, whoa, okay. Sometimes there's confession involved, repentance, asking of forgiveness. Sometimes I need to make a list of people that I need to go back to, make amends, something exactly, like something very particular that needs to be changed comes up. And then after that, there's giving of thanks. And I don't know what your process is. For me, I write a lot of things. I'm an external processor, as we say. And so I wrote a thanksgiving. And I would like to read and pray this thanksgiving prayer together. So would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your long suffering, patience, and mercy. Thank you, O oh God, for not responding to me in violence. The many times that I have knowingly or unknowingly harmed you or harmed your mission. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what I could not. For taking the full weight of sin and evil and violence upon yourself without being drawn into evil and violent actions. I am convinced that this is the way of life. And I am so grateful that you have made it available to me and to us. Please, Jesus. Please continue to supply me the courage to walk in your way. I wish it was easier for me, but it's not. Thank you for saying and living forever no more of this. Amen.
Every week we have the privilege of responding by coming to the table together. And this week, in just a moment, as we receive the bread and the juice that is Christ's own body and blood, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. He is better than we could have ever imagined or asked him to be. His ways are higher than our ways. And if tonight you are struggling with how to understand a God who chooses to act this way, I think this is a good table to come to and ask questions and live into mystery. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, this very night, just a few hours before, Jesus ate with his disciples and he broke bread at the table with them. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. And he passed around a cup. And he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood spilled out for you. And so tonight, I invite you to come to this table. Jesus is our host. And I invite you to come with your hands cupped so that servers might give you the elements. This is something that we can only receive and not take. So receive the bread, dip it into the juice. And we want you to know that there are no barriers here. It's not a Nazarene table. It's Jesus' table. And he says, all who want what I offer are welcome here. So we've chosen to use gluten-free bread and juice that's non-alcoholic. But if for any reason you can't get down the aisle, just wave and a server will come and find you. Friends, as you are ready, come and taste, hear and see, feel and know that our God is good.